football fans, and welcome to another episode of Fangirl Sports Network's Fangirl Playbook on Blue Wire. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, joined as always by my co-host, Stephanie McCarroll. We have a fantastic guest today, Luke Easterling, who is the editor of DraftWire for USA Today, and he covers the Buccaneers for Sports Illustrated, joins us to talk all things NFL Week 5 and preview Week 6. So let's get to it. But before we do, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Now, let's talk some football. Luke, welcome again to the podcast. Steph, hello. You guys, the 49ers are for real. <laughs> They're 4 0. They're 4 0. They're a real live football team. And I almost, it's like I almost don't believe it, but it's true. Yeah. And it's, Really exciting. Obviously, last night, Monday Night Football, they absolutely dominated the Cleveland Browns, who looked terrible. And I think we should definitely talk about that. But, Luke, I will start with you because Steph and I are Fortnite's fans, and, and I cover them, so I spent a lot of time talking about them. Does this surprise you? And, of course, they played the Buccaneers week one. So does this surprise you, this team? I mean, I guess it makes me feel better if I'm speaking on behalf of Bucks fans that uh, that maybe week one wasn't just the Bucks problem. It's everybody's problem. The 49ers are. So, um, you know, I think this is just a team that's become more comfortable in their own skin, more more comfortable in the schemes that they're they're playing within on both sides of the ball. They've got obviously a healthy quarterback. If you rewind this team back to before Garoppolo's injury last year, what we're seeing right now shouldn't really be that big of a surprise. This was a team that was getting a lot of hype before that injury happened. And you know, once it did, obviously that kind of spelled the end of the season in a lot of ways. But uh, if we really look back at the time that they were playing well together with him healthy uh, behind center, this really shouldn't be that surprising. So I, I think there's a lot of different reasons for what's going on. Obviously, um, you know, they've loaded up on talent in the backfield, which has helped them that depth. Now that they've dealt with some injuries, Matt Breida has stepped up and, and played like one of the best backs in the league and showed what he was capable of last night. But also, you know, being somebody who focuses on the draft so much, every year we get so much grief from fans and readers who hate when you're mock drafting, you know, the same position to a team over and over and over again, especially when that team has invested recent picks in that same position. But if you look at what the 49ers are doing right now, this is what happens when you build a unit like they've built along their defensive line with four or five first-round picks over the last four or five years along that unit, and they've turned it into one of the more dominant units in the league uh, because they've invested those resources. Well, and it, it's I'm glad you brought up the defensive line. Richard Sherman said something last night that I think might be a quote that I quote from now until the end of time, and he said the D-line is dependable, and the best ability is dependability. And he talked about every one of them as playing like a pro bowler, and I, I don't disagree with him. But I think knowing that you have that kind of dependability and consistency on your defensive line, it really does make everyone's job better. It makes the secondary better. They yeah. can make plays. It makes the offense better because they know if they can't convert on a drive or if they turn the ball over that you have a group of guys that can hold the opposing offense. And I think you really hit on that. There had been a lot of talk and a lot of complaints among fans, not another defensive player, even though I don't think they felt that way about Nick Bosa. But over time, and you are correct, they have built something really special there. Steph, I think you had something to say. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, the thing is that even from week three for the 49ers to week five for the 49ers, they cleaned up, like, a lot of drops. They cleaned up a lot of things that happened, you know. So, you know, it 
I think that obviously no team is perfect, but they, that jump that they made from week three to week five, I mean, they, they looked killer out there. They obviously still had the injury. Um, and But to add to um, Luke's point about, you know, the backups and having somebody to go, when McGlinchey went down, you know, I, a lot of people were wondering if Brito had been traded because he was a good you know, and he was number three, you know, on that depth chart. But then, you know, when McGlinty went down. You mean McKinnon? Steph, do you mean, Sorry, do you mean Jared McKinnon. McKinnon? Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Um, But you know what I'm saying? When he went down, it was, we haven't seen so much of him because he would have been an injury, you know, for so long. So I think um, that having Rita there was a big deal. Oh, absolutely. And having Tevin Coleman was a big deal. And Tevin Coleman coming back last night. I mean, the 49ers have really done an incredible job of, you know, using their backs and, and not necessarily having a true number one, but using them both. And, and that backfield is really working. One concern, of course, is Kyle Juszczyk went down last night. He was a big part of that running game being successful just because of his incredible blocking ability. Uh, last night, they said it was a knee sprain. We should have more information sooner rather than later. It may come out before the pod goes live, but obviously we'll keep you guys posted um, at 49ers Fangirl. So there's a shameless plug there. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the 49ers opponent, the Cleveland Browns, who looked absolutely terrible after such a great win over the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, what is the deal with this team, Luke? Are they just, is it the Browns being the Browns? Are they are they overhyped? Are they just not that good? Or, more, or is it just going to take a little time for the new coach and all this talent to gel together? I mean, we talk about the, the Madden curse of, of the past with injured players. What about the SI cover curse with the, the Browns? I mean, everybody, when they saw that, they were like, oh, well, there it goes. There there it is. All the, all the hype is going to be for naught. And it's hard to argue with the results because this team has not looked like what everybody expected. And honestly, if you look closely enough through the offseason, there were plenty of people that were saying, hey, listen, let's pump the brakes on this team. They're very young on both sides of the ball. They're going to be breaking in a new coach who went from coordinator to coach. He's a first-time head coach. Seemed, you know, from the way the process played out to be kind of the hand-picked head coach for your quarterback in Baker Mayfield because they had such a great relationship working together. And obviously being a Bucks person down here, I've seen what can happen when that goes wrong as well as, you know, after the Bucks fired Lovey Smith, they stuck with offensive coordinator Dirk Cutter because of the rapport he had and the, the, the numbers that Jameis Winston put up with him as an offensive coordinator. That didn't turn out so well for Cutter as a head coach either. And I think Freddie Kitchens is finding out just how difficult it is uh, to, to not just focus on your side of the ball and, and the offense and have to run the whole show. So I don't know what they need to do to get it back, uh, you know, and get back in the win column and get back moving in the direction everybody thought they could at the beginning of this season. But I think this is what happens when you have a team who is genuinely built uh, to win and to win often in the 49ers and a team that was just talked up you know, for a lot of different reasons, and many of them made sense, but this is why you play the games, because uh, the, the, the the checks are not getting cashed uh, that, that were written this offseason about Cleveland. And you bring up a really good point about coaching, and so going back to the 49ers for a minute, you're right. It is a lot different from going to coordinator to head coach, and I think something we're seeing with Kyle Shanahan is how well he's done that in year three. I mean, I've always thought he was a good coach, but the talent wasn't necessarily there and the pieces weren't there. But I think you watched his game plan last night. I mean, he truly is. Obviously, he's an offensive genius, but he knows how to coach, and he knows how to surround himself with good coach, good coaches. Excuse me. Uh, and I, I think that's something that obviously people are talking about. But in this conversation of how good the 49ers are, so much of it is coaching. And I 
feel that should be recognized. And maybe I'm biased, but I think it should be recognized anyways. Well, no, (laughs) and I think that he, you know, one thing I've really appreciated about Shanahan over the last year or so is that he's been very open and vocal about the struggles and, and the challenges of moving from being a coordinator and really being locked into that role and loving the play calling, loving the game planning to kind of being frustrated at times with the, the way the head coach role changes, you know, your day-to-day experience in, in, with the team and, and how much he kind of misses what he was able to do as a coordinator and the way he was able to work with the players and, and implement game plans. Uh, you know, now there's so much more macro work that goes into being the head coach that I, I really like how kind of uh, honest he's been about how much he kind of misses uh, being able to kind of keep the blinders on and focus on the offense. But I think that you are, you are seeing uh, the, the fruits of his labor in, in meeting those challenges and overcoming them and, and becoming a really good head coach. And uh, he said last night, actually, you know, along those lines, uh, he was asked about Nick Bosa. And he said, you know, Nick Bosa is the kind of player that in camp, from an offensive mind, some days he was so pissed because Nick Bosa just made the offense look terrible. But then on those same days, he had to also be really happy that Nick Bosa could make an offense look terrible. Uh, so I think, you know, that is something that, you definitely have to get used to. Um, and let's let's talk about Nick Bosa for a minute. I know this podcast is pretty 49ers heavy, guys, and so I apologize, but I, I, I do think it's not just me. They're they're actually a good team, and I think we're surprising some people. Um, but let's talk about Nick Bosa. He looked just like a monster last night, and I kind of liked the the plant the flag planting move, even though as a Michigan oh. Wolverine, the Ohio Stateness of it I didn't like. But you know what? I was I was into it. I liked it. Steph, what'd you think? Oh, I loved it. Absolutely. Yeah, I liked it too. I mean, I think there has to be good ribs, you know, especially when, you know, you know, Baker Mayfield did the same thing. So like, I can totally see it's all in good fun. I don't think he meant anything malicious or petty. I mean, it's a little petty, but it's still fun. And I think you have to have that and be able to do that in sports. I mean, I think it was, I think I thought it was funny. I cracked up. I did too, and you know what? I think in in these kind of situations in sports, you can be petty if you back it up, and he backed it up last night. (laughs) Yeah, you know. So I think uh, I think that's fair. All right, we're gonna we'll probably come back to the 49ers because we're gonna want to preview the NFC West matchup that's coming up, and we're gonna talk a lot more about the Bucks with Luke as a result. But I now want to move to a team. There are teams that have been underhyped, and there are teams that have been overhyped. Are the Dallas Cowboys one of those teams? Because Boy, they have not looked good the last two weeks. They look terrible Sunday. You know, I think the Cowboys are, are just proof that the NFL is a, a one-week league. You know, it's 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 a weekly basis. You have to you have to bring your A game every week, and the matchups can change so drastically from one week to the next that you know you can be a team that your roster and your schemes and everything kind of match up really well with who you're playing, whether it's at home or on the road. And then the next week, you know, you can kind of run into a buzzsaw when you end up with a team that matches up with you really, really, really well. So I think that's what's happening with Dallas. That's why we're seeing kind of a Jekyll and Hyde situation where, you know, they went on a tear to start the season and then they run into some teams that match up with them uh, much better uh, over the last couple of weeks and, and they're struggling. So I think the challenge for, for Dallas is going to be to figure out in there, you know, how do we pay our quarterback? How much to pay our quarterback? What's going to, you know, how is that going to shake out based on kind of the, the inconsistent performances that we've seen? Uh, and, and where are the holes on both sides of the ball where, you know, we need to patch things up. They've got talent all over the place, obviously, offensive playmakers. Um, the offensive line maybe isn't what it was two or three years ago, and injuries have had something to do with that as well. But um, this is a team that just needs, you know, to 
to calm down, to take a deep breath and realize what they are capable of uh, and just, just focus and execute on a weekly basis because every week is a new season in the NFL. Of course, Absolutely. now what's going through my head, and this is not going to surprise Steph, is you need to calm down. I have that Taylor Swift song in my head now. So thank you, Luke. And, you're, and to our listeners, you're I welcome. apologize, and you're welcome. <laughs> I think his point is good, though, because we saw that with Kansas City. I mean, I just thought it was going to be, like, complete shellacking, you know, and it wasn't like that at all. So I think – Actually knowing your opponent and being able to plan for that opponent and see what matches up well and what doesn't. You can't be so overconfident that you're not thinking about the next game. And I think that may have been what happened to Kansas City. Yeah, I think I think that that is, uh, I think that is possibly true. And I do think that maybe it's something that's happened a little bit to the Cowboys. Um, I think they might have a little bit been believing their hype. But, Luke, you made another excellent point, um, one of many thus far, that it is a one-week league. And so along those lines, we look at the Chicago Bears, who are definitely in a one-week league. I mean, they're, the the difference from week to week, it's not that they play so much better or so much worse. It's just sometimes they can win a game and sometimes they cannot. And they lost to the Raiders the other day in London. You know, there was talk about their decision to leave for London on Thursday afternoon, which didn't give them a lot of time to adjust. But, you know, at the end of the day, they are grown men and adults. And I don't know how much that played into it. But a lot of people picked this team to go to the Super Bowl. I'm not seeing it yet. I'm just not seeing the consistency. No. And again, I mean, even before, you know, the injury to Mitchell Trubisky, this is a team that I, I have to be very careful about picking Super Bowl teams where I'm not. 100% confident in their quarterback's ability to raise the entire roster up to his level rather than, you know, winning in spite of my quarterback and not because of it. And with the Bears, I think that's the case. I mean, is there anything more painful as a Bears fan than to look at what Deshaun Watson is doing in Houston, to look at what Patrick Mahomes is doing in Kansas City, and realize that you traded up in that draft to take <laughs> neither of those guys at quarterback? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really rough thing. And, I mean, I don't blame Khalil Mack for not wanting to talk to the media after that game last night because – Another move that doesn't look great in the moment is when a team, you know, trades away uh, one of the best pass rushers in the league, sends them away for, you know, a King's ransom and draft picks. And then when they actually get on the field after all the arguing and talking is done, guess which team wins? So, and they haven't even used all of those picks yet. So it's, it's a weird time to be a Bears fan. You see the potential you see, especially on defense, you know, what, what, what is capable of being one of the best units, if not the best unit in the league. But yeah. you have to play the games. You have to execute on Sunday and live up to that hype, or it just doesn't matter. And for them, the, the consistency is just not there, and, and I, don't, I don't see how anybody could put Super Bowl money on that team right now. Well, and two, I mean, they're playing – Trubisky's out. So if they're playing the backup quarterback, I think that needs to be mentioned. I don't think the Raiders are necessarily better, and that defense on you know, Chicago just looks good. Yeah, but to to Luke's point, even before Trubisky went out, they were not looking good and they were inconsistent. And Steph, you've heard me talk many a times about the Mitchell Trubisky quarterback I know, experience. I know. Not and your Luke case. is right; they did trade up to get him and don't have Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. And I think this team, and I've said it before, and I'll just keep saying it because now I'm making it my thing, even if it's obnoxious. So much time worried about a kicker this off season. So much time, so many tryouts. I'm bringing people in every day to try to kick a 42-yard field goal in the noise and not paying attention to what's going under, on under center. So I don't even know that 
I don't even know that you can put it necessarily just on Chase Daniel because you, you, can't. you can't because Trubisky was not great. So I agree with you, Luke. It is a weird time to be a Bears fan, and I think that does have to hurt when you look at what's going on, um, you know, with these other players. And as long as you bring up Deshaun Watson, you guys, I just love him. What a great person. <laughs> I just want to say that. He is a great quarterback. He is a great person. He started a new foundation today. And so I just, you know, we spend so much time. We've talked so much about over, you know, over the last several months, Antonio Brown and this one and that one. And, and, and at the end of the day, I just would like to recognize that you've got like a really great guy in Deshaun Watson. And there's just my, that's just my random plug for Deshaun, guys. <laughs> I just had to throw it out there. Okay. Yeah, absolute, absolute quality human being there. Yes. So I just wanted to, I wanted to be recognized. It might be random, but still, I just wanted to throw it out there. Um, all right. So I want to talk about a couple other NFC North teams. So obviously the Green Bay Packers are just pretty much rolling. Uh, as we talked about the Cowboys, they just embarrassed them the other day. Uh, but you got the Minnesota Vikings that have been dealing with some turmoil. They they beat the Giants the other day. I don't know how much of an accomplishment that is, but they did beat the Giants the other day. They've been having some turmoil. Their quarterback is certainly not panning out the way that they thought that he would. Not a surprise to this fangirl because I've said that for years, but I digress. Luke, is that team in trouble? Are we going to see anything from them, or Packers is going to pretty much roll to be any, being the kings of the north, if you will? Yeah, I mean, it sure looks like that's that's where we're moving. And, yeah, like you said, you want to talk about a team that has buyer's remorse at the most important position in the league. You know, how about giving a, a fat three-year guaranteed 80-something million dollar contract to a, a quarterback who just doesn't look like he's capable of, of elevating this team? And, again, that, that that's my, you know, that's my litmus test for a quarterback in this league at this point. Is this a quarterback that – is playing at such a high level and is capable, especially in clutch moments and close games and comeback situations, at a, is he capable of playing at a level that he can raise the rest of the team up to and beyond their you know, normal capability? Or is this a quarterback that you have to hide? Is this a quarterback that you have to figure out ways to put him in position to not lose you games? And that's beyond even just being a game manager, like we always like to use that term. This, you know, this is, you know, is there a quarterback that we have to protect not in a, you know, a sack protection way, but in a, you know, is this a guy that we have to cover up for his weaknesses just to have a chance every Sunday? And I think that the, unfortunately, much like the Bears, the Vikings have fallen into that category, uh, which is definitely not something you expect to do when you kind of win the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes as it was deemed a few years ago. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that that's not the direction the 49ers ended up going. I think um, it was certainly for the best. Go ahead, Steph. Well, and you also have these like quarterbacks coming out of nowhere, nobody, sixth round, and they're showing up and showing out, you know? And then you have Kirk Cousins, who's been in fold, you know? And I'm not saying injury isn't a real thing, but it's really interesting to see these young kids come up and just be able to win games. And I think that's kind of the new direction. It's exciting for a league that's been kind of without – you know, a, a series of quarterbacks for so long, they've all come up and they've been able to like show what they can do. And Steph, you touched, speaking of young quarterbacks, you touched on the Colts earlier. They beat the Chiefs the other night. Of course, Colts fans, you know, a couple months ago were ready to revolt. Um, but as it turns out, they're doing just fine. And yeah. 
they are contenders. I actually, for one, am not terribly surprised. Um, and maybe, maybe my bias has a lot of confidence in Bill Belichick coached quarterbacks, but I'm not terribly surprised. Luke, how far do you think this team can go? Uh, which team is that? The Colts, the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts. Oh, man. I mean, if you rewind a, f a few weeks and we're booing Andrew Luck out of Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, this mm -hmm. is definitely uh, a doom and gloom, maybe not the whole of their fan base, but I mean, I think a lot of people are looking around like, are you serious? This is a team that, you know, we had Super Bowl hopes at the beginning of the season. We're finally going to have a, a healthy Andrew Luck, uh, and we got a shot. And then to get that blow right before the regular season, uh, you know, it, it had to be a gut punch to them, but now we see why Chris Ballard, the general manager, was why he was one of the most respected people in the scouting industry his whole time, even before he got that job. And when he became the general manager, you saw many people around the league go, you know, it's not going to take long for him to turn this team into a contender again. And that's exactly what we're seeing. When you, when you have a situation at quarterback where you do go from, you know, the excitement of having a healthy Andrew Luck back, the idea of that, to going back to Jacoby Brissett and the fan base going, man, what are we going to do? And then the entire team plays with, with the quality that we've seen on both sides of the ball from this team so far this year. And again, punctuated by an incredibly dominant performance against the, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the league, the highest powered offense in the league. I mean, they mauled the Chiefs in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And when you're able to do that, you're going to win a lot of football games. So I, I, they're, they're not only winning games and being impressive against good teams, they're doing it in a way that is sustainable. They're doing it in, in a, a way that's not a flash in the pan. You're not getting fluky victories. You're, you're beating good teams in ways that if you keep doing that and keep executing the way they're executing and the style of football that they're playing, this team can go really, really deep if they keep it up. Yeah, Bill I Belichick, even though he doesn't like to smile, has got to be smiling a little bit because it's pretty incredible that he's got three quarterbacks, you know, playing at a very high level in the league. <laughs> I know Steph won't love that one, but I, I mean, he's, <laughs> but you you do love you do love that one of those quarterbacks is playing well in the league. No, I, I respect his ability. I just personally think he's. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want. You know, I, if you can't say something, I don't think any of us want to admit or give Belichick any more credit than he already gets, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> That may be true. However, I just think it does. I think the ability, as you said, Steph, you respect his ability. Uh, and I think when you look around at these quarterbacks that were trained under him, it is, it is relatively I impressive. I think you're secretly not to mention all the a other Patriots fan. <laughs> oh, I'm not secretly a Patriots fan. The Patriots are my second favorite team. I don't think that, I don't think that's a secret. I don't think that's even like the second favorite team thing. I, it's like, you know, they're, they're a distant second. It's not, you know, if they play the 49ers, it's not even a question, obviously. I'm rooting for the 49ers. Um, but there's the Michigan connection to Brady is really, you know, where that comes from. And I also, I have to say, like, I do respect the game and I do respect the ability. And I, I think what he's done and what they've done is incredible, despite all the other arguments and things that you can say, not you, but the universal you, I have to respect just the pure football aspect of it, and I just think it's incredible. Um, but that's, you know, that's an aside. But, no, I don't think it's a secret that when, I, when I'm not rooting for the 49ers, I'm rooting for the Patriots. I think I've been pretty um, open about it. A secret I am the What would you say? I'm the antithesis. You are. You are the antithesis. You are like – 
You are like the anti-Patriots fangirl. <laughs> <laughs> no way. But okay. that is okay. You know what? You're And you're not alone. You were definitely not alone in that. But I, I don't know if I've told this story before on the podcast, but um, if I have, I apologize, guys. But during the Super Bowl, um, I had some time. I had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with a player for another team, a really good player. And I can't say his name because what he said, it wasn't it wasn't like off the record. It was in a casual social setting. I just think it's fair not to use names. But a, a player from another team who – I was with a friend who said, I hope the Patriots lose because I'm sick of them winning. And he said, you know, he said, you should feel opposite because we may never again in our lifetime see a player like a Tom Brady or an organization like the Patriots. And so he said, for me as an athlete, as a player in the NFL, I root for them to win because it's it's like amazing to watch that kind of ability because I know what goes into it day in and day out. And I just thought that was a very interesting perspective. Um which is neither here nor there, but I did think it was an interesting perspective. Actually, Luke, I would kind of like your thoughts on that perspective. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, one thing that I wish, and, you know, in in getting back to covering a team on a daily basis, like I am now with the Bucks again, one thing I wish that every every single NFL fan could do would be to just to go into the, the NFL locker room, particularly after a loss. Mm-hmm. And and just just watch the way that the players interact with each other. Watch how how hard most of them take it when they lose. Watch watch the way they exist like completely normal human beings in in every single way, um, because it does give you that kind of perspective that these guys do put so much into this. They put a, a heck of a lot of work and effort and, and preparation that goes to the coaching staff, the training staff. There are so many human beings and then even on game day watching everybody you know from PR and media relations and stadium people I mean there's so much that goes into that three hours three and a half hours on a Sunday um, that that we all you know kind of live for as fans and as media even like there's just so many things that go into it there's so much work and so much effort um, that I think just it goes underappreciated in so many ways. I agree with that and I you are so right when you were in a locker room after a loss you really do see that, and you bring up another great point. They are human beings, and how do they interact as human beings, and how do they talk about that? And Richard Sherman said that last night. He said, you know, I learned from Gus Bradley that you have to appreciate the contribution of every man on the field. And when someone makes a mistake, it's not, oh, man, why did he do that? He lost us the game. We're in this together. We're a team. And I think that's something that really comes across in a locker room, and and you're correct. That is is a big part of it. And you are correct also about how much goes into a game every week. So many people are involved and so much goes into that. And I think I'm glad that you brought that up because that is very true. And so, uh, Go ahead, Steph. And as covering the Jags, I mean, I get losing. It's, it's not fun. Um, and, and you see all these athletes just put in everything they have and then they lose by a point or something like that. I 100% get that. Like, I, it, that doesn't, it's not lost on me at all. It's just, you know, the way I feel about anything, it's kind of sports. It can go any way. It can go any way at any time. But at the same time, like, you still have to respect, you know, I, I don't know. It's, I feel like they've just won so much that you kind of want those people that don't win to win. 
I, I, if that's a, if that's a plea, that's probably more of it. Not that you don't respect who's won. It's that you wish some other people would have that same joy. Well, that's fair. That's that's fair. I, I heard somebody tell me a story, and it, this is actually a hockey story, but I, I think uh, it was uh, either a Tampa Bay Lightning player or somebody was relaying a story that, that Wayne Gretzky had said once when he lost in the Stanley Cup Finals the first time he went, um, and he said that he remembers being in the locker room after they lost the, the kind of elimination game in the finals and remembers how, how busted up his team was physically, how, how, you know, how much of a toll it had taken on him. And then he remembers peeking inside the locker room of the team that won and realizing yeah. how much more hurt that team was physically. And he said it told him you know, a great lesson in that moment about what it took to be a, a winner on that stage, what it took to sacrifice to the level, because he thought, you know, hey, we've given so much and we've sacrificed so much and we lost. And look how much more sacrifice, look how much more work it's going to take for us if we want to become champions, which obviously eventually he did. Um, but that's just always stuck with me about, you know, the, the amount of work and the amount of sacrifice that it takes to, to really be successful at the highest level of sports. That's a great story. That's an, that's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. Harry's is super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule, with or without a subscription. And there's no risk for you trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know, and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners of this show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. Following a team you love in 2019 can be time consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axio Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axio Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up and it's free sports.axios.com not only will you be caught up you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins and best of all there's no paywall no subscription fee nothing this is free curated sports content delivered directly to you sign up at sports.axios.com again put in code free 99 at sports.axios.com um, well, you said, yeah, you cover the Bucks, and of course you do cover the Bucs. Uh, that's an interesting football team. I want to talk about that, and that will lead me into a little bit of our Week 6 preview. The Bucks are an interesting team because, back to your point about it being a one-week league, some weeks they look terrible, some weeks they beat the Rams. So I would love your perspective on this team and if you think they'll get to a place of being more consistent. 
Uh, you know, as a born and raised Tampa fan, the only team, the only thing this team has ever consistently done <laughs> is lose and lose in really sad and creative ways. Um, so I'm not sure if consistency is what I'm after. If that's really going to be what we get again, hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully we can get consistently putting 55 points on defending NFC champions. That would be fabulous. I'd love to consistently see that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the consistency is the story with this team and, and it all starts at quarterback. And unfortunately what we've seen over the last four weeks is, you know, probably the best football that Jameis Winston has ever played. Uh, you know, after the, obviously the stinker he had against you guys, the 49ers with the three picks, two pick sixes, which obviously were the, the difference in a 14 point game there. He's thrown 11 touchdowns or excuse me, 10 touchdown passes and only two interceptions since then. He's got uh, a quarterback rating that's sixth highest in the league over the last four weeks. He's had a quarterback rating over a hundred in each of those four games. And again, two of those games were on the road. Uh, three of those games rather on the road against Carolina, New Orleans and, and the Rams. So, you know, this is a team that, that has the firepower to be uh, one of the better offenses in the NFL. The problem is the offensive line is not consistent. Uh, they gave up six sacks to the Saints this past week. Uh, they're going to face Carolina in London on Sunday without their starting right guard and their starting right tackle. Alex Kappa, who, by the way, the right guard, broke his arm in the second quarter of Sunday's game and finished the game, uh, which is just insane to me, going back to our talk about how much these guys sacrifice, how tough they are. Um, but again, you know, they're, they're still looking for that consistency. And part of the problem is that this is a team that's on their fifth head coach in the last 10 years. You know, it's really hard for the team culture and the, and the locker room to have consistency when there's no consistency kind of from the top in terms of the coaching either. So, you know, Bruce Arians obviously has, has a track record of proven success in this league. He turned, you know, a team, the, the Arizona Cardinals, who were 5-11 and 11, just like the Bucks were last year, turned them into a 10-win team the very next season and took them to the playoffs. Uh, you know, he's definitely capable of doing it. But I, I think the problem is Bucks fans, and I've heard this on social media from Bucks fans directly, is that, you know, they're tired of being told, calm down and be patient. They're tired of being told, you know, it'll, it'll turn around. They're in a new defense. Give them some time. The problem is, is it's, it's still true. You know, this team is being forced to, to adjust and to change gears with every different coach, every different scheme to the point where they're, they keep hitting that reset button in terms of what they're expected to do every year or two. And unfortunately for the players, that's just really hard to continue to bounce back from that and have any sort of consistency when it comes to your on-field execution. Yeah, I think that's. I think that was an excellent analysis, a very yeah. fair analysis. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really have anything else to say to that. <laughs> you think, think you nailed it, which makes sense because you are our Bucks expert here today. Um, but the. I mean, I, I wish I, I wish I could be wrong about their lack of. Yeah, I'd love to be wrong about that, but I just, you know, they've got a chance to prove me wrong uh, when they go across the pond Sunday morning. We'll see. But how do you think Carolina is going to fare? Uh, you know, I know they're going to be angry. I know they're going to be angry about getting beat uh, by a yard, basically, in their own house on national television, which is what happened in week two when the Bucks, even on that short trip after losing to San Francisco, went to Carolina uh, and beat them with a big play on the very last play of the game, uh, keeping Christian McCaffrey out of the end zone. Um, this is definitely a Carolina team that's going to want revenge. It's kind of a bummer for the Bucks. This counts as a home game for them. Uh, the Bucks are in the middle of a seven-week stretch without a home game, if you include their bye week, because technically this is a home game. Uh, so they're going to be away from uh, away from Raymond James Stadium for about a month and a half, uh, which is crazy. But uh, you know the Bucks are going to have to show up. They're going to have to bounce back, like they've done after their each of their two losses. They lost to San Francisco. They bounced back with a spirited effort and beat Carolina in week two. 
They lose to the Giants in heartbreaking fashion at home by missing a chip shot field goal at the very end. You know, they respond to that by going out to L.A. and hanging a, a franchise record 55 points on the Rams. So, you know, if the pattern holds up, the the, the Bucks just lost to uh, the Saints on Sunday. So if the pattern holds up, the Bucks are going to bounce back with a win here. But, you know, I, I really think that the Panthers are going to be very spirited. Obviously going to be a very different mm-hmm. experience playing against the Panthers because Cam Newton's out. You've got Kyle Allen instead. So it's going to be a very, very different task for the Bucks this time around. And they have to contend with Christian McCaffrey, who's just oh, I know. an absolute monster out there in a good way. Um, just an absolutely incredible. So you mentioned, obviously, the Bucks beating the Rams. Uh, the Rams are now 3-2. and two. They lost the Bucks. They lost to Seattle. They play San Francisco at home on Sunday. How much trouble do you think the Rams are in? I know we're still relatively early, but I think Rams fans have probably seen enough that they should be concerned. Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if I'm a 49ers fan, you know, I'm, I'm kind of apprehensive about this game because this could go one of two ways for, for the Rams. When you lose back-to-back games like this and the expectations are so high for the team, you know, this is the kind of game that can be, you know, hey, we've lost two in a row. We're really pissed off. We're, you know, we're going to take it to the field and, and bounce back and show everybody what we're capable of. But, you know, if you go out after two disappointing losses, especially against, you know, a Tampa Bay team that, you know, everybody expected you to win, that, that kicked a lot of people out of survivor pools across the world. I promise you that. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the kind of game to where, if, especially if San Francisco gets up early, you know, this could really be a demoralizing game for the Rams because that's when you start looking around, you start looking at the guy next to you, you start pointing fingers, and you start wondering, hey, what the heck is going on with our team right now? You know, it, it, hopefully, you know, they've got experience and leadership and veterans on that team that can hopefully, you know, if you're a Rams fan, steer them in the right direction. But I'm telling you, if that if that game starts out, you know, strongly for the 49ers, it could be that sort of snowball feeling for the Rams to where they, you know, they just can't figure out how to right the ship. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, uh, think it would be a very interesting game for both teams. I I am a little apprehensive about it. I just I don't see the Rams losing three in a row. But to your point, if they get down early, Jared Goff throws one pick six early, and then I do think it snowballs from there. I really do. I think that's that's going to be kind of what happens. And I feel like so much of it is actually going to depend on Goff and how he bounces back. Because I think mentally he's got to be a little bit down. Obviously don't know. But, you know, he's – it's been a little bit of a rough season. He had a very rough loss in the Super Bowl. He's still a you know relatively young quarterback. Uh, so how he bounces back on Sunday, I think, in my opinion, is how the Rams do as well. Yeah, you never know if you're going to get the good Jared Goff. Jared Goff. And I think that's part of the problem. I would agree. Well, I think we've I think we've covered all we can possibly cover today. I cannot believe that five weeks in the NFL have already gone. We are heading into week six. It is just unbelievable. The season, I feel like, just goes so fast. Luke, it has been really fantastic to have you on. This has, has been just a great podcast. Uh, likewise. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a blast. Absolutely. All right, everybody, we will talk to you next week. And goodbye, all. Are we going to do fantastic? Oh, my gosh. Thank goodness Steph is here, everybody, because I forgot our favorite way to end the podcast. And it, honestly, you guys, it's just a good thing Steph is with us today and every day. Uh, we end the podcast every week with Fangirl Says Who's Hot and Who Is Not. So, Luke, uh, would you like to play? Absolutely. All right. So, usually we'd let the guests go last, but I will let you choose how you would like to go. 
I will go last so that I can either, you know, figure out how this goes by watching you guys do it. And then if I don't have a good one, I'll just blame you guys for taking what I was going to pick. I think that's a really good way to, I think that's an excellent way to play this. Steph, I'm going to let you go first this week. Oh, man. Okay. So I'm going to say who's hot is Christian McCaffrey. He just ran through the Jaguars. It was impressive to see. He's just really good. And what I like about him is he's a Pac-12 player that really always said, well, he only plays in the Pac-12, so he's not going to be able to play in the NFL on a high level. So that was his biggest thing against him, and right now he's just amazing. So he's hot. My fangirl says who's not, I think, is going to be the Washington football team because they're just bad. That's totally fair. I guess. <laughs> I think you, you summed that up succinctly and correctly on that one for sure. Uh, my who's hot is going to be the 49ers defensive line because Ooh. they are just super, super hot. So I'm giving them the who's hot. And my who's not, I'm sorry, but it is Baker Mayfield. I'm not sure why I'm sorry. Um, but uh, it is 100% Baker Mayfield. That was just really an atrocious performance last night. So that is my who's hot and who's not. So Luke, you are up. All right, I'm going to go who's hot. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be a homer on these, make it easy on myself. Who's hot is Chris Godwin. Um, mm -hmm. He leads the NFL with six touchdown receptions, multiple touchdowns in each of the last two games. You know, Mike Evans is obviously one of the best receivers in the league and, and thought of as that number one receiver for the Bucks. But you know, Mike Evans was held without a catch for the first time in 65 games this past Sunday against New Orleans. And Chris Godwin still ate. Chris Godwin still got his, led the team with, I think, seven receptions for 125 or something like that. Still got a couple of touchdowns. So uh, he's rolling right now. I know he's one of those guys. You know, we get afraid of the fantasy hype every year when there's like a, a bubble player where you're like, this is the time he's going to break out. And, you know, he was getting drafted so highly from a fantasy standpoint. He has absolutely le lived up to that hype and is putting up big numbers for the Bucks. Who's not? How about the Tampa Bay secondary? The dead last in, in the NFL in passing yardage allowed by like 30 yards. It's not even close. This team gave up a career high 517 yards to Jared Goff in that win over the Rams. So we knew then that this team had issues. Look at their rush defense. They're, they're giving up. They're, they're the number one rush defense in the NFL, and it hasn't mattered, unfortunately. They held Christian McCaffrey to less than 40 yards rushing in that win over Carolina in week two. So, uh, you know, it's it's frustrating for Bucks fans, I think, to see how well they're they're playing the run and seeing offenses just decide, you know what, we're not even going to run the ball. We're just going to throw for 400 yards on you and try to win that way because it's working. Well, once again, you nailed it. <laughs> you absolutely nailed it. Thank you again for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to subscribe to Fangirl Playbook on iTunes and also to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. We will talk to you next week. Goodbye, all.